For those who had more important things to do last night, like clip your toenails and make little patterns out of the clippings on the bathroom floor while singing every word of Bohemian Rhapsody to yourself under your breath, then maybe I'm the only one who does that. But anyway, here's a quick summary of the Democrat debate as told to me by someone who actually wasted his time watching it. The candidates, including a doddering old man, a make-believe Indian, a hit-and-run driver, another doddering old man, this one a freaking communist, two gay cats, one of whom even comes right out and admits it, plus a screechy cat-like female who wants to put everyone in jail, gathered before a tank full of their fellow Democrats, a.k.a. journalists, to be asked such tough questions as, where did you get that lovely dress, Elizabeth, and don't you just hate that darn old Donald Trump? As you might expect, sparks flew, especially when I stuck my finger in the electrical outlet trying to make the entire experience stop. For me, the highlight of the debate came when Beto O'Rourke was asked by Anderson Cooper, who, by the way, is yet another gay guy, what's the matter with these Democrats? Don't any of them like women? Women are so pretty and soft and they smell so great. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah. The gay guy asked the hit and run guy, what if people don't want you to take their guns away? Here is Beto's response verbatim, quote, If people will not surrender their guns, there will be serious consequences from law enforcement who will storm into the homes of America's approximately 100 million heavily armed law-abiding citizens and just wipe those suckers out so there won't be any Republican voters left because they'll all be dead, dead, dead. Ha, 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 ha. Unquote. All right. Maybe that wasn't what he said verbatim, but it was kind of hard to hear him over the sound of Donald Trump laughing. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. All right, we're still here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, after giving a speech to the Acton Institute, which went very well. It was a really great crowd. It was great to be there, and I was really happy to be talking to that group, which I support a lot. We've got the mailbag coming up, and I'll tell you what else is coming up. (laughs) That scream, that scream is coming up, and now it's here, it's gone. I hope you enjoyed it. And also, I am going to take the Ancestry.com test, the Ancestry DNA test, it's called. Uh, Ancestry DNA I've done this once before, but I didn't get as much information as I wanted. And Ancestry DNA gives you much more than just the places you're from. Ancestry connects you to the places in the world where your story started using precise geographical detail, clear-cut historical insights. You can even trace your ancestors' journey over time following how and why your family moved from place to place. And to amplify your results, you can start a free... (laughs) I was just thinking my family moved from place to place because people were chasing them, but probably they'll tell me that too. To amplify your results, you can start a free trial on Ancestry and build a tree so your ancestors become more than just... <laughs> All right, I've lost it. I'm sorry. I've officially lost it. My apologies to Ancestry. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I actually am. Only Ancestry can tell such a rich story with unique features that give a more complete picture about a person like events that shaped them, how they made a living, and what they excelled in. It's so easy to get started. Ancestry's unique features and record collections can give a more complete picture of people from your past. I really am looking forward to this. Ancestry.com slash Clavin 
If you go there, you will get 20% off your Ancestry DNA kit. Ancestry.com slash Clavin for 20 cents, 20% off your Ancestry DNA kit. Ancestry.com slash Clavin. The first thing I want to know, of course, is how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. All right, I will pull myself together. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll just do this the entire show. Why not? I'm having a good time. Why shouldn't I be uh, enjoy myself? In general, I am not in favor of the endless political season, this fundraising, the polls, the news, and speculation about the next election that seems to begin. <laughs> I, I am just going to do this the entire show. I hope there are no like, tragic letters in the mailbag because I'll be laughing my way through them. Uh, all this stuff that begins uh, about the next election that seems to begin the moment the last election election ends. I think it's a symptom of the fact that we've lost the limited government our founders intended us to have. If the federal swamp creatures were less powerful, we wouldn't have to think about them so much. We could think about the stuff that matters to us, like God and our family and our work. But these people just won't get their hands out of our pockets and they won't get their noses out of our business. So we have to fight with them and with each other all year long. It isn't good for us. It isn't good for the country. But the long political season does have one positive side, which is this. It gives people time to think. The Democrats, or the socialists as we can now call them, depend on panic and high emotion to put their points across. Climate change, the sky is falling, quick, give us power over the economy. Guns, everybody's being shot, quick, give us your Second Amendment rights. Orange man, bad, quick, let us choose who the president should be instead of you. It's always an emergency in Democrat America, and the solution is always to give more power to the government, which, nine times out of ten, caused the problem in the first place. It can be dispiriting to watch people fall for this, especially young people. It's dispiriting to watch college kids turn out with enthusiasm for a communist dingbat like Bernie Sanders. This is a guy who acts as if Stalin never existed, as if tyrants like Fidel and Mao and Shea weren't natural products of the system he supported all his life. It's sad to watch young people in the freest, richest, most powerful society ever made cheering for the idea of throwing it all away. These young people aren't stupid. They're just young. It's not that they don't know anything. It's that they have no clue about what they don't know. And they haven't yet got the reasoning capacity of full-fledged adults. They want a better world. They want meaningful lives. They want to feel like heroes. And clowns like Sanders and Barack Obama and Elizabeth Warren play into that and gin up their emotions and keep them from working out the dreadful consequences of left-wing policies. But time, this long political season we have, where we talk about this forever, it works as a partial antidote to this. Arguments get made and facts come out and little guerrilla operations like the Daily Wire break through the air cover of the mainstream media and spread the word about what made America great and what socialism does to the fools who go down that path. Watching the debate last night, what I saw was a dozen Democrat candidates standing waist deep in the big muddy, sinking in the melting puddle of their bad ideas. Did you notice, for instance, that the moderators didn't ask a single question about climate change? Not one. The biggest crisis of our time, the end of the world, we only have 12 years to live. Eh, they never brought it up. Why not? Because people have had time to think about it, to calm down, and to realize it's crap. It's all about power grabs that will accomplish nothing. It's about elites flying jets to conferences to discuss how the rest of us need to return to the Stone Age. We've had time to wonder about how Elizabeth Warren will pay for all those plans of hers. We've had time to wonder if Joe Biden is making any sense at all. We've had time to wonder why Americans can't say what they want or do as they please or spend their money as they will the way we were meant to and the way we used to. 
Time to wonder whether the Electoral College and the Supreme Court and free speech all have to die just so the Democrat Party can get the White House back. For what seems like forever, the corrupt left-wing media has acted like Gollum's ring, making the real face of the Democrats invisible. But over time, the ring's power has worn off. We can see them now. And that's bad for the Democrats, but good for the country. Time is on our side. So the MSM narrative about this debate is Biden's falling, Warren's rising, so everybody turned on Warren, everybody was mean to Warren, it's her turn in the barrel, and the media judges are kind of trying to decide Warren is the best, but who else is good, and they're saying, oh, you know, maybe Joe Biden won, or maybe Amy Klobuchar, all this stuff. I think somebody else won entirely, I'll tell you who, uh, at the end of this, but uh, but I, I have a completely different take on what, what happened. But I thought the whole thing was just embarrassing. I think... I, the, Maybe I'm so prejudiced against socialist ideas, prejudiced against it. Maybe life is so prejudiced against socialist ideas that I, I can't see like that people are going to fall for this, that people are gullible. I, to me, these people just look like they are sinking into the floor. Let me just show you this clip of Joe Biden's tax plan as he talks about why he's going to raise taxes on the rich. What I talked about is how you get things done. And the way to get things done is take a look at the tax code right now. The idea, we have to start rewarding work, not just wealth. I would eliminate the capital gains tax. That in, I, would, I would raise the capital gains tax to the highest rate of 39.5%. I would double it. Because guess what? Why in God's name should someone who's clipping coupons in the stock market make, in fact, pay a lower tax rate than someone who, in fact, is, uh, like I said, the, a school teacher and a firefighter? It's ridiculous. And they pay a lower tax. Huh? <laughs> what the hell did he just say? I mean, that's their candidate. That's their like tied for the leading guy candidate. I mean, it's just absurd. And he's fixing his dentures all the time. It's, it's incredible. The guy makes no sense. And basically, he says he wants, I, I think what he said was he wanted to double the capital gains tax. So that means, remember, the capital gains tax is a double tax. This is money that you already made and already get taxed. And then you take that money and you invest it in somebody else's business. What does that do? It creates jobs. It creates wealth. It creates new businesses. It does all that stuff. And so if it works, you risk your money. If it works, you get a profit. And then they tax you again. They already tax that money. There shouldn't be any capital gains tax. It's ridiculous. Whenever they tell you that corporations don't get taxed, everybody in the corporation gets taxed and then they get taxed again for capital gains. What, how does that, how does that help the economy? How does that help? So what, what are you going to do? They're going to tax your investments. You're going to use, you don't have to do that. Go out and buy a boat. And then everybody says, well, look at him. He's got a yacht. He's not contributing anything to society. Well, you would be contributing to society if they hadn't taken your money away. So you're going to protect it. You're going to take it away from them, take it away from the things, the work that it's doing for the country and and use it for yourself so they won't get taxed on it. It's just dumb. It is absolutely dumb. So so anyway, this is the, this is the way they talk. Let me let me pause here and do another ad and get back to the the next thing that they're doing. But it's just it's just amazing that that guy is still a candidate and with all the stuff about his son. Well, we'll get back to that in just a second. You know, I have had such a good time on this trip. I really had a one. I, the Acton Institute is great. I had a wonderful time. The only thing that's gone wrong is I forgot to bring my new Vincero watch. Vincero watch. They have these really nice watches. They sent me a couple of them. Uh, bold luxury watches. They're very nice. You know, people. 
people notice them. People, everybody, everywhere I've gone, people have said how, how nice they are. They really look nice. They've got collections ranging, ranging from dress watches, which is the one I wanted to bring with me because I was wearing a tux. Uh, Vincero has a style for every look occasion and price point. And even if you claim not to be a watch guy, and I am a watch guy, Vincero has a style that will change your mind. And all the straps are interchangeable, giving you more versatility and freedom to create a style that perfectly fits you. Vincero has over 18,000 five-star reviews. You know you're going to get a great product and great customer service. And the best part is they offer free worldwide shipping. Exclusively for listeners of this podcast, Vincero is giving you 15% off your purchase. The bottom line is a great watch tells the world what you're all about. So go to VinceroWatches.com and use code Clavin to save an extra 15%. That's Vincero, V-I-N-C-E-R-O, Watches.com slash Clavin and code Clavin for 15% off. It's always, always a good time to Spell Clavin properly, which is K-L-A-V-A-N. This is the low point of the debate. The low point, I mean, it's just, it, it just says such bad, I don't, this is another thing I don't know if people are going to fall for. They're not only having this impeachment hearing in a dark cellar somewhere, and they won't tell anybody anything unless they leak the bits they want to go out to the New York Times. So they're doing everything in secret there. They can't even go on a debate with someone who disagrees with them. They can't even go on a debate with a good journalist like Brett Baer who will ask them hard questions. Listen to Anderson Cooper ask Joe Biden about his son, uh, all this controversy about Hunter Biden and all the jobs he's taking. I mean, this... I have to believe that people look at this and roll their eyes a little unless they're just such staunch Democrats, they don't care. I mean, what would it be like? What would it be like if a conservative journalist who is an honest guy, Byron York, uh, you know, Brett Baer, somebody like that, asked these guys questions, real questions, instead of playing patty cake like this? President Trump has falsely accused your son of doing something wrong while serving on a company board in Ukraine. I want to point out there's no evidence of wrongdoing by either one of you. Having said that, on Sunday, you announced that if you're president, no one in your family or associated with you will be involved in any foreign businesses. My question is, if it's not okay for a president's family to be involved in foreign businesses, why was it okay for your son when you were vice president? Vice President Biden? Look, uh, my son did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. Well, that clears that up, doesn't it? <laughs> Can you believe a journalist, quote, unquote, asking a question? Trump has falsely accused Hunter Biden. Now, listen, there is nothing false. There is nothing false about the accusations that this may have been nepotism, that he was taking a job he was in no way qualified for here and then in China as well, that he only got because Biden was the VP. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe that only has the appearance of being wrong. We don't know. But it's, there's no way of saying this is an, an unfair accusation. I mean, this is an accusation that news people were making at the time on mainstream media. They were making accusations that this didn't look good. It might be a bad thing to do. So what's he letting him off the hook for? Because, of course, he doesn't want to hurt the Democrats. You don't want to hurt the Democrats. I, I just think it's going to it's going to be bad for them. I think over time, people people aren't stupid. They look at this stuff and they say, you know, how come they're not going to get asked any tough questions? How do I even know who I'm voting for if nobody's going to really vet them? Bernie Sanders, I mean, here is an observation I haven't heard anybody else make, and it's kind of out there, but Bernie Sanders may be the worst single thing that ever happened to the Democrat Party 
and to socialism. And the reason I say that is he's like the pus that came out of a boil. He has brought the socialists out into the open. He has forced, they saw the excitement of the young people following him around. They saw that he probably, he might have won if uh, he hadn't been sandbagged by the DNC. They've all decided that, oh yes, we can speak socialism to the nation and they will follow us. I think that that may be a really bad thing, especially because the more you hear what you're saying and the more there's time for people like me and people at, in uh, other, other venues who are going to get leak that information out to speak to people about what socialism really does and what socialism really means, I think it's going to destroy them. Time is on our side. If they keep, if they come out in the open with their arguments, instead of just saying, oh, the climate's got, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, instead of making us panic, if they actually have to make their arguments, and Bernie Sanders is open about his arguments, you can destroy them. They can be destroyed by logic and by the facts and by history. Let's listen to Bernie Sanders explain why he wants to tax the rich. When you have a half a million Americans sleeping out on the street today, When you have 87 people, 87 million people uninsured or underinsured, when you got hundreds of thousands of kids who cannot afford to go to college and millions struggling with the oppressive burden of student debt, and then you also have three people owning more wealth than the bottom half of American society, that is a moral and economic outrage. And the truth is, we cannot afford to continue this level of income and wealth inequality, and we cannot afford a billionaire class whose greed and corruption has been at war with the working families of this country for 45 years. So if you're asking me, do I think we should demand that the wealthy start paying the wealthiest, top one-tenth of one percent, start paying their fair share of taxes, So we can create a nation and a government that works for all of us. Yes, that's exactly what I believe. First of all, the guy's got to calm down. He's going to just keel over. He's already had a heart attack. He's got to take it a little bit easier. I can completely understand. You know, young people, their brains do not finish forming until they are 25. I saw this with my own children, both of whom are extremely bright. And you would talk to them and they'd be extremely bright, but there were connections until they were 25 years old that they did not make. And I understand why young people listen to that and they fall for it and they follow it. But think about it just a minute. He says a couple of things that are true. There are people who live in the streets. There are people who sleep in the streets in our country, and that's a terrible thing. And there are people who live in mansions. But did he show you in any way, shape, or form that there are people who live in the street because there are people who live in mansions? Do the people who live in mansions put the people in the street in the street? And if you take away the money from the people who live in mansions and give it to the people in the street, will the people in the street stop living in the street? Is there a plan that you have that's going to stop them from living in the street or is there some other cause? Because you haven't shown that the cause of them living in the street is that the people live in mansions. It's this old, old, repeatedly debunked idea that there's this big pile of money and if somebody has more of it then somebody else has less of it, which simply isn't true. There's always more money. Money is just a symbol for desire. If there's more stuff to desire, there's more money available. Here's the other thing. What do you think the guy in the mansion is doing with his money, you know? They always, they talk about this like, oh, he has a yacht and he has a mansion and he has a a big car and all that stuff. And he must have someplace like Scrooge McDuck where he has a big slide and he slides down into his big pile of gold coins. The vast, 
vast majority of people's wealth is in investments. It's in stocks. Billionaires are creating businesses that are creating jobs. They don't have little piles. They don't have bathtubs full of money. They are creating businesses that are creating jobs. Unemployment now is at 3.5%. So basically, everybody who can have a job has a job. The people are sleeping in the streets. It must be for another reason. The people who have all that money have created so many jobs that everybody basically has a job. So people must be sleeping in the streets for a different reason. What's the reason? Are they uh, mentally ill? I think a lot of them are. Do we take care of our mentally ill properly? No, we do not. I mean, we haven't since we closed the asylums. I mean, maybe those asylums were not run well, but there's no reason they can't be run well. There's no reason that people should be allowed to live in the street when they're a danger to themselves and others, or when they can't even treat, let alone, never mind a danger to themselves. They can't treat themselves like the human beings they are because they're just too hobbled. You don't let people live in the streets for that. Some of them are addicts. They uh, They have addictions. Is there a problem with addiction in this country? You bet there is. You bet there is. If you got rid of the addicts and the um, the mentally ill people on the street, I don't know how many would be left. They're not there because people are living in mansions. And it must, it must over time, as you begin to make the connections, it's got to begin to occur to you. We live in a society that's so much wealthier and so much better off than any society ever has been before, that your ordinary bodega in a gas station has better and more food in it than the pharaohs of Egypt ever saw. We, we are all living at, at the level of kings of just a hundred years ago. What's the difference? The only difference is the free market. The difference is the free market and the development and the wealth it creates. Why would you destroy that? Because Bernie Sanders cannot figure out that the people in the mansion, the people in the streets are not living in the streets because of the people in the mansions. It's just so simplistic. I mean, they don't use their, uh, they don't use their, their imaginations. They don't think, what would happen if I took some of that money and gave it to this guy? It's just like reparations. When they talk about reparations for blacks, imagine the day after reparations. You think everything's like, all right, that's it. We'll put paid to slavery. You gave me enough money now, and now all my problems are solved, and everything's going to be great, and the, and the black people will rise, and the white people will equal out because you gave me that money. It's going to be, of course not. If you use your imagination, that stuff goes away. You don't, you can't possibly believe it. That's why I say the more they're out there, the better it is for us. So then there were the attacks on Warren, Elizabeth Warren. Here's uh, Pete Buttigieg uh, going after her. The big thing is, is her Medicare for all plan going to cause taxes to raise for the middle class? And of course, the answer is yes, it is. Socialist programs always destroy the middle class every single time. Not sometimes, not half the time, not 75% of the time, all the time. They destroy the middle class. They create a poor class and a powerful class. That is what socialism does. What she keeps saying is, well, she won't answer the question. She won't say yes or no, I'm going to raise taxes. But what she says is overall, the price will be less. But what does that mean? That means that she's going to be taking money from someone and giving it to someone else. And why should she make this decision? And how can she make that decision? And why can't we make the decisions for ourselves? So Pete Buttigieg, who they keep calling him a moderate. He's not. He's also a leftist. He goes after I will not sign a bill into law that does not lower costs for middle-class families. Mayor Buttigieg, you say Senator Warren has been, quote, evasive about how she's going to pay for Medicare for all. What's your response? Well, we heard it tonight, a yes or no question that didn't get a yes or no answer. Look, this is why people here in the Midwest are so frustrated with Washington in general 
and Capitol Hill in particular. Your signature, Senator, is to have a plan for everything, except this. No plan has been laid out to explain how a multi-trillion dollar hole in this Medicare for All plan that Senator Warren is putting forward is supposed to get filled in. And the thing is, we really can deliver health care for every American and move forward with the boldest, biggest transformation since the inception of Medicare itself. But the way to do it without a giant multi-trillion dollar hole and without uh, having to avoid a yes or no question is Medicare for all who want it. So he went after Kamala Harris in a very, totally misguided thing. She wants to knock Trump off Twitter. The American people are going to love not being able to hear from Donald Trump. 64 million people are going to show up at Kamala Harris's door if, if they take Trump off Twitter. That's absurd. He's the president of the United States. He has the right to talk to people by any vehicle that he wants. She's, she's absurd. So she attacks Elizabeth Warren for not joining in on that because Warren knows it's ridiculous. And uh, then, oh, my favorite thing is, you know, Project Veritas, I won't play this, but Project Veritas has been had this undercover guy at the news agencies and he's got one at CNN and they found a guy at CNN saying, oh, yeah, we favor Elizabeth Warren. So not only did they stop, I think it was Amy, no, it was Tulsi Gabbard, I think they stopped from going after Elizabeth Warren. But afterwards, they brought the candidates on and they interrogated them about why they attacked that nice Elizabeth Warren. Do we have that clip from uh, the CNN after show? Warren was a target for you and others. Why? 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 I have a question specifically on Senator Warren's answer to you on Medicare uh, for all and how she'll pay for it. But just broadly, why did you think it was so important to go after Senator Warren tonight in a way that you haven't before? Welcome back with me. As you can see is New Jersey Senator uh, Cory Booker. Senator, thanks so much for joining us. I'm um, grateful, man. It, it did seem like there was a lot of criticism of Elizabeth Warren, especially coming from candidates that might be vying for the, more of the moderation, more, more the moderate lane kind of, Buttigieg, Klobuchar. I'm not asking you to, to be a pundit here, but were you surprised at how much incoming there was at her, especially because you were criticizing people for doing it. To be with you. Did the dynamics on the stage feel different? It felt like a lot more people were going directly at Senator Warren as opposed to Vice President Biden, including you. They should just make one of those videos where like Jake Tapper lies on his bed with his hair dyed orange going, leave Elizabeth alone. Anyway, I'll tell you who won in just a second. But first, let's talk about credit card debt. The thing is, I do this all the time. I use my credit card without thinking. Now I hardly ever use cash anymore. The bill comes due. You got to pay the bill. If you don't pay the bill, the interest on that loan is unbelievable. It really is incredible. So you want to get a loan from Lightstream and take care of that credit card debt so you don't have it anymore. You can pay off your credit card balances and save money with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. You get a rate as low as 5.95% APR with auto pay, which is much lower than the national average interest rate of wait for it over 20% APR. And if you don't know how interest rates work, that will kill you, right? You want the loan, take care of it, get it done. Your rate is fixed with Lightstream. So uh, as rates continue to rise, your low rate won't budge. The online line application is quick and easy. You can apply right from your phone. You can get your money as soon as the day you apply. Just for my listeners, apply now to get a special interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash Andrew. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M.com slash Andrew. Subject to credit approval, rate includes 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash Andrew for more information. 
I thought Tulsi Gabbard won the debate hands down. She was sensible. First of all, she's cute. If I'm going to have a leftist destroy my country. I want her to be hot. I want her to be good to look at. She's a veteran. She was just sensible. She talked. She said things that nobody else said that had clearly been worked out. She clearly knew what she was talking about. Let's look at the let's look at the one about um, uh, about Syria, where she talks about they were all hitting Donald Trump for Syria. But of course, Syria is. Trump may have, as I say, made a mistake in Syria, just pulling out the way he did, but he didn't get us in the problem to begin with. The slaughter of the Kurds being done by Turkey is yet another negative consequence of the regime change war that we've been waging in Syria. Donald Trump has the blood of the Kurds on his hand, but so do many of the politicians in our country from both parties who have supported this ongoing regime change war in Syria that started in 2011 along with many in the mainstream media who have been championing and cheerleading this regime change war. Not only that, but uh, New York Times and CNN have also smeared veterans like myself for calling for an end to this regime change war. Uh, just two days ago, the New York Times put out a, an article saying that I'm a, a Russian Assad and an Assad apologist and all these different smears. This morning, a CNN commentator said on national television that I'm an asset of Russia. Completely despicable. So she attacks the mainstream media in there, which is amazing. She talks about the fact that this Syria problem is a problem that has been with us for a while. And this whole idea that we're going to change, they call her basically uh, a... um, you know, they're calling her a Russian asset. They're saying she's in favor of the Syrian re- regime, which is not what she's saying. She's saying we don't want to waste blood and treasure doing what can't be done in the Middle East. She talked about impeachment. She was very sensible about impeachment. She s- supported the impeachment inquiry, which I think is garbage, but she's a Democrat. I get that. But she also said, look, Donald Trump won the election, and this is very, very divisive. Finally, she made a statement at the end where she was just talking to Americans, and uh, this is what she said. This is uh, cut eight. We must stand united as Americans, remembering that we are all brothers and sisters, that we are all connected. This is the kind of leadership that I seek to bring as president, inspired by the example of presidents like Abraham Lincoln, who talked about how we should have malice for none and charity for all. When I look out at our country, I don't see deplorables. I see fellow Americans people who I treat with respect, even when we disagree and when we disagree strongly. I will work to, to restore a White House that represents light and compassion and respect for every American, regardless of race, religion, orientation, gender or political affiliation. She sounds like a Republican. I mean, she's attacking the mainstream media. She's being kind to the uh, to America. She's not condemning people for disagreeing with her. She sounds almost like a Republican. I know she's not a Republican. She's got some left wing uh, ideas. But still, you know, I mean, I think that it's it's pretty remarkable that she came off like that. Do I think she's going to win? I, I think that's a, an incredible long shot. But do I think people are going to notice that? The mainstream media is not talking about it at all. They don't want to be nice to her. They only want the leftists in there. But the rest of the country is not with the mainstream media. And I think a lot of people may have seen her, anybody who was watching, anybody who was fool enough to watch this stuff, and uh, may have seen her and said, hey, there's an actual sensible person. So I don't know. I thought she won the debate. And I think when I say won the debate, what I mean is I think she made the best impression. 
And I, I think that you're going to hear about that in some of the polls will surprise you. We'll find out. All right. I got to stop to have the mailbag. The mailbag is coming up. Meanwhile, you want to come over to dailywire.com and subscribe so you can get another kingdom. The episode three is out for everybody. Let's see. It's Wednesday now. I get turned around when I'm traveling, but it's uh, Wednesday. So Friday, uh, episode four will be out for subscribers and then everyone can get it on Monday. But you want to be a subscriber. You get the leftist tears tumbler. You get to be in the mailbag. It's a wonderful, wonderful experience. And most importantly, we get your money. Come over to dailywire.com. Mailbag. So a little bit of home out here in Michigan, uh, hearing the scream from back back in California. It's amazing to be where there's winter. You know, I didn't even think to bring a coat. It's always so warm in California. I walked outside and I thought, what is this? Oh, it's winter. I get it. From James. It seems that the China narrative is coming to a head in American culture. South Park released an episode uh, depicting corporations selling their souls. Within two weeks, the two stories of the NBA and the game developer Blizzard, uh, which banned an esports player for giving support to the Hong Kong protesters. Do I think, with do you think, with these events happening in this order, that the culture will come to realize China as a real threat? And do you think this will help Trump in his reelection with how hard he's been on China? Really good question. Uh, I think the the problem here is that we're all complicit. We all like these products. We all continue to buy these products. We don't boycott them when they do these things. People are not going to boycott the NBA. They they wag their finger at them, but they're not going to lose any money, whereas China is giving them lots and lots of money, a big, big audience. So I don't think it's going to be as dramatic as it should be. What it does do, what it does do, and I think this is important, I think this is a positive, is it strips these corporations and the celebrities who work for them, it strips them of all moral authority. If you did not stand up for the Hong Kong demonstrators fighting for their freedom. It's not a complicated fight. It is not a complicated fight. China is a tyranny. Hong Kong was free and wants to remain free. It's pretty darn simple. So it's all about the yuan. It's all about the money. So it strips them of all moral authority. And yes, I think that helps Trump because he can. He has actually acted with moral authority in his dealings with China. And what, el- what also helps Trump is if it ever comes to pass that the Democrats expose themselves to serious questions from serious journalists. It hasn't yet. That hasn't happened yet, but it might come to pass that people might insist on it uh, during the general election. If it comes to pass that they get serious questions, people might ask them about China. And the fact is, while they can rail against Donald Trump for his tariff war and his trade war and all this, nobody, nobody is going to have the nerve to go back to the appeasing way that it was. Nobody's going to go back to that. And Trump will actually look better than they do. So, yeah, I think it helps Trump. I think it helps Trump that he's done essentially the right thing in China with everybody, both the right and the left, picking on him. I think he is going to come out of this smelling like a rose because what's happening really undermines the moral authority of everybody it touches. Um, From Shelley, thank you so much for your wonderful show and inspired writing. You keep people from despair in the face of modern idiocy and evil. One of the most important books I've ever read was The Great Good Thing. That's the memoir of my conversion to Christianity. Uh, Your words found me at exactly the right time. Your book became a major inspiration in my journey back to Christ, which is a debt I can never repay. So instead, I'm going to hit you up for some more advice. All right. That's very, thank you very much. I appreciate that. It's it's good to hear that when it happens. Uh, It really is. 
Um, the urge to join a church has become very strong in me, so I went to a local service. It was wonderful. There's great music. The pastor stood up and spoke directly to me. He offered a solution through God to the greatest pain and dilemma in my life in his sermon, uh, I guess he's saying. It was pure and sweet and perfect. However, when I later read through the church's key beliefs, I found a challenge. I'm not sure I agree with their doctrine. I fear I might be a heretic. Uh, he's I, I can't read the whole thing. It's very long, but he's more tolerant to gays. He's unsure about uh, hell and damnation. <laughs> the spiritual experience of a Christian community is something I long for, but how can I commit if there are some profound differences in belief? Here is what I would say. I would say that this church sounds like the Spirit was moving there, that it spoke to you. Keep going back. Keep going back to the church and see how big a problem this is. Because, you know, it's not a... Um, it's not an interrogation. It's not an interrogation. You are not required to believe every little thing that the people in the church believe. It may cause problems for you. It may not cause problems for you. Now, I have to tell you, I'm a Jesus guy, okay? I mean, around at the Daily Wire, we've got Knowles who's a Catholic, and we've got people who are uh, Protestants, and they get into these arguments. And i got to be honest, I know a lot of people get upset about this. I don't care. If it gets you to Jesus, I think it's okay, okay? I disagree with a lot of things Catholics say. I disagree with some things the evangelicals say. If it gets you to Jesus, I'm okay with it. And that's what I'm about. So so that's, that's the point of view that I'm talking to you from. So if you go and if it gets you to the Spirit and if it gets you to Jesus and brings you into a Christian community, which is a very important thing, what I would say is see how big a problem it is. If it's an enormous problem, I've been to some churches where the stuff coming out of their mouth when they preached was entirely tolerable to me. I had to leave even though I didn't want to all the time. You know, if it gets to be like that, then you have to move on. But if not, if you can live with it, uh, go ahead because, you know, theology is not as important. It's just not. As far as I'm concerned, it is nowhere near as important uh, as your relationship with Jesus Christ, which is going to solve the problem that you got. That's the thing that's going to take you across the river. So if you're having, if that, this is enhancing that relationship, Go ahead. You know, I mean, what are they, the worst thing they can do is burn you at the stake, and that won't be so bad. You'll go right to heaven. Uh, no, seriously. I mean, what's the worst thing they can do? You may have to leave, uh, but if, if it's working for you now, go. Um, from Scott, I love another kingdom. Don't worry about the <laughs> don't worry about the sex scene. I'm not worried about the sex scene. It is exactly where it's supposed to be. It's exactly what it's supposed to be. But thank you for saying that. I would love to know what other fantasy novels inspired this creation. You know, I've been asked this before, and I have a hard time with it because I'm not a big fantasy reader. Uh, I do like fantasy movies. I, I it's it, for some reason in book form, it doesn't appeal to me uh, quite as much. I love love the Conan the Barbarian stories. Those are great, and they may have had an effect on me. What Another Kingdom did for me, and I've said before, Another Kingdom came to me in a single moment, like a flash, and it's never happened to me before. I'm not sure I ever expected it to happen to me again. I got the entire story in one second, and when I sat down to write it thinking that can't have just happened, it had happened. So it was a gift. It was given to me. It solved a problem that I was struggling with, which was how could I continue in the vein that I had been writing in, which is the suspense, uh, very realistic, kind of gritty suspense story. How can I continue? continue in that and express the way I now see the world, which has a more, uh, for lack of a better word, word, supernatural element to it, that I see the world as, as I see the world as a realistic material place that expresses, in the way words express ideas, that expresses the idea of another greater kingdom, right? And that, this plot solved the problem of how I could tell the stories that I know how to tell so well 
and yet express that vision of the world. That's the problem it solved for me. Now, obviously, I've always, because I read a lot, I've read more fantasy than I think I have. I've read the Narnia books. I've read The Lord of the Rings. I've read uh, some of um, uh, Neil Gaiman's stuff. And I've read, I've read a lot of uh, fantasy stuff. And of all those things, I really do think it's Conan that affected me uh, the most. And maybe, uh, maybe Conan, because Conan has great action scenes, but it also has a really cool political element that people don't talk about as much and that they never get right in the movies uh, that really works in the stories. Uh, so that really affected me. Obviously, Another Kingdom is what's called a portal story, and the Narnia books are portal stories, so I, I think I always like that element of those. So things did affect me, but really it was solving a problem that I was having with the kind of storytelling I was doing, and it solved it as a gift. It was just given to me, so it was great. Uh, from Adrian, I'm 23. Myself and my girlfriend have recently gotten back together after being on a distance-related break for six months. She has since admitted to me that during that period, she slept with someone else. I was initially shocked, having been her first, and ever since she told me I haven't been sleeping well and have felt a burning jealousy inside, the experience has brought to surface all of my worst insecurities. I hope to marry this girl and truly believe she's the one. How can I get over this and get back to enjoying life with the girl I love? Okay. Great question and tough situation. It really depends on what you mean by a break. It's the Ross and Rachel situation. If you were on a break, if you were not in a relationship, if this was an official uh, you know, suspension of your relationship, then go off by yourself, grieve, tear your clothes, pound yourself in the head and forget about it because she was within her rights, you know? I mean, if, if it was a break and you guys said, we're not going to be in relationship for this period of time. However, if while she was away, you were in a relationship and she cheated on you, dump her. Okay, that's it's, it's, it's that simple. It really depends on the rules of the game. If you were stupid enough, if you were stupid enough to go on a break and she said, well, I'm not in a relationship at the moment, so I'm going to do this thing. Then she was being honest with you. She came back and she told you the truth. Now you've got to deal with it. You've got to purge your heart. You've got to get this out of your system. You cannot, cannot live in anger. And if you are going to live in anger, you should leave her too, because it's not right to punish her and torment her with your rage. You've got to deal with this. This is your problem if, if you were on a break. If not, don't go into a relationship with a girl who cheats on you. But just don't. It's just, it's not, it's going to happen again. It's not going to be good. You will not like it. So that, you got to decide what the rules were. If she was playing by the rules, then you've got to deal with it. If she wasn't, then you got to go off by yourself and find another girl. Um, from, um, I'm not sure how to pronounce this. It's, it's spelled N-O-E, maybe Noe. Uh, I want to ask, to what extent does religious liberty go? To what extent can we claim religious liberty in terms of those who are, for instance, uh, lesbian or gay or bisexual? Can someone be fired for being gay? Uh, where we preach that the only thing that should matter is your ability to produce for your employer. I see many people say that just because it's their religion, they can do what they want because of religious liberty. Well, what's the extent? Should I be fired for being gay? Where's the check to this? Because I see it as the potential of being abused. Thanks and have a good one. Yeah, no, listen, it's, it, obviously the, the best example uh, is human sacrifice, right? You can't commit human sacrifice. Your religion cannot violate the laws of the land, but that is a, a good reason why laws should be made carefully so as not to violate your rights uh, to religious freedom, because your religious freedom is among your first freedoms with your right to speak, your right to believe and worship as you wish. It is an incredibly important freedom uh, to have, and it is one of the things that has made this country great. Let me say that I am radical about this. I, I don't believe in the laws that keep people from firing classes of people. 
I know, I know this is way, way out of uh, fashion. I know people will hate me for this. I believe you should be able to fire anybody you want, okay, for any reason that you want. I mean, I believe that it's your business. You should have people working there that you like. Can you fire someone for racist reasons? Yes, you can. Will I come to your place and use your business if you do that? No, I will not. I think you are an evildoer if you do that. But do I feel you should be free to commit that evil? I do. So I'm really, really libertarian about this. I'm really, the government should have no say on how you run your business as long as you're not abusing people, uh, as long as you're not unsafe or anything like that, as long as you're not endangering them. I think you should be able to refuse service to people if you don't, if you're a bigot, you know. Again, I won't come to your business. I think you're a schmuck. But, but still, I think you should be able to do it. However, however, in this case, look, it's, it obviously is a line that has to be drawn. Gay people are not, uh, you know, the same as, it's not the same as a race. It's an action you take. It's something you do. You do have a right to disapprove of people's actions. Uh, and you do have a right to say it's bringing, I think you should have a right to say it's bringing an, a moral atmosphere, an immoral atmosphere to your to your place of business. Again, do I agree with that? No, I do not. I do not agree with it. Do I think you should have the right to do it? Yes, I do. Do I think it's unfair and mean? Yeah, I do. But on the other hand, look at it the other way. You know, in a, uh, a Catholic church, if you're living in a gay relationship, they can't give you communion. That's their their belief. Their belief is that you're living in sin and they cannot give you communion in, the, in keeping with their beliefs. They have a right, an absolute right to do that. That is their absolute right to, to worship in that way. So listen, I'm a, I'm a freedom guy. I believe in freedom. I know that in freedom people do bad things. I think that's one of the prices of freedom. I think we should pay that price. Uh, you know, I think if you're not hurting people, if you're not endangering them, you should be able to live the way you want. Again, I'm out of touch with that, but that, that is the way I feel about it. Uh, am I out of time? Yeah, I think I am out of time. I got to stop there. I will be flying back this afternoon. I'll be flying back to California, so hopefully I will be back in the studio Tomorrow, and I will see you then. I'm Andrew Claven. This is the Andrew Claven Show. Drink up all that Clavenly goodness because the Clavenless weekend is on the way. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Austin Stevens and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. And our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saevitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Democrats opened rhetorical fire on Liz Warren at last night's presidential primary debate, which clashed with Beto O'Rourke's promise to confiscate, or rather, mandatorily buy back every gun in America. As Biden crumbles, a couple candidates try their hand at moderation. We will examine the winners and losers on The Michael Knowles Show.